Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Director's Cut, a podcast by the Directors Guild of America, featuring today's top directors sharing behind-the-scenes stories of their latest films and insights into the craft of directing. Please take a second to subscribe to our show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Check out the DGA website at dga.org and hover over the Craft tab to watch or listen to hours of content, such as past episodes of The Director's Cut, video of the Guild's 75th anniversary celebration, and long-form interviews from our visual history program. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director J. Chandrasekhar's new comedy, Super Troopers 2. The long-anticipated follow-up to the 2001 cult comedy Super Troopers continues the story of the wacky Vermont Highway Patrol officers who were fired for their shenanigans in the first film. When an international border dispute arises between the U.S. and Canada, the officers get a shot at redemption as they employ unconventional methods to set up a new highway patrol station in the disputed area, while dealing with a smarmy mare, mischievous mounties, a smuggling ring, and a 1,300-pound bear. In addition to Super Troopers and Super Troopers 2, Mr. Chandra Sekar's credits include the feature films Pottle Cruiser, Club Dread, The Dukes of Hazard, Beer Fest, and The Baby Makers. The movies for television Held Up and Schooled, the pilots for the series The Rebels and Really, and episodes of the series Undeclared, Arrested Development, Chuck, Psych, Community, Royal Pains, The Goldbergs, and New Girl. After a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Mr. Chandra Sekar spoke with director John Hamburg about filming Super Troopers 2. During their discussion, Mr. Chandra Sekar talks about how the sequel came to fruition 17 years after the original film, his maturation as a filmmaker between shooting the first and second films, and his belief that comedy works better faster. Hey guys. Hello. Welcome. Thanks for coming. Um, hey Jay. Good to be with you. Hey John. Good to see you. Old friend. Yeah. Um, we were together back in New York in yep. the, uh, in the uh, New York independent uh, heyday. That's right. That's right. Does that exist anymore? I don't, I don't It's still there. It's the, New York exists. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, I don't New know York's about there. the world we, we started in. Um, I, I did, treated this professionally. I oh, have some okay. questions. Um, and uh, anyway, so, uh, well, congrats on a hilarious film. Thank you. So funny. Thanks. Uh, and, and it did great. So congrats yeah, on that, too. You. It's awesome. Um, so uh, Super Troopers came out in 2002. Um, many, many, you've done a bunch of Broken Lizard movies and many other things. And so why a sequel you know, roughly 16 years later. Unconventional, but, but it worked, obviously. But, but how, did, how did it come about? You know, the, the studio wanted us to make Super Troopers 2 right after the first one, but we always aspired to sort of do what Monty Python did and make different movies with different characters. And so we decided to make a film after that called Club Dread, which is a horror film. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but nobody went in the theater, uh, <laughs> which, which, you know, whatever. It, it became a very loved movie, yeah. um, but it, it was probably like a big jump for the audience that we started. They were like, oh, wait, there's 
you know, a head getting cut off in blood and all that stuff. Um, yeah, and the, we, you know, we, we wanted to make a, a lot of different movies in between, and then we always sort of thought, oh, we'll go back and make another Super Troopers, but it was sort of tied up in the audit, and it was kind of, you know, it took, took quite a few years, and eventually we settled it, and Fox said, okay, you can make the second one, but you have to raise all the money. Great. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and so we were talking about this outside. The way this movie was partially financed is pretty unique. I don't, I don't know if you guys know this. It was crowdfunded and I think was like the number one or two most crowdfunded movie so far. Um, so can, can you speak to that? Because it's so, it's so unique and maybe is something that movies like this will you know, call upon uh, moving forward. Yeah, I mean, crowdfunding, you know, we watched and saw what Veronica Mars had done. They raised $5.8 through Kickstarter. And we thought, well, you know, Fox basically said, we, we, we think it'll make money. We just don't know if it'll make enough money. Mm. You know, it's sort of all the money at the big studios is being plowed into, like, capes and tights and, you know, those kind of movies, right? So, yeah. Yeah. so they were like, mm, not sure, not sure. And so then we went to sort of the investor, independent investor class, and they, they thought, yeah, it's been a while, we're not sure, right? And so then we, we basically decided our only hope was to sort of jumpstart the process through crowdfunding. And the risk was, you know, if people didn't crowdfund it, then, you know, Fox and the investors were going to look at that and say, well, nobody wants to see the movie. Right. You're really putting yourself out there yeah. when, you, when you put it up for crowdfunding. Uh, and so we hired the guy who did the Veronica Mars campaign, uh, this guy Ivan Asquith, and... Uh, you know, he wasn't a fan of ours. He was, well, he was just a guy who really knew computers. And he said, let me do some research. And he said, your fans are located in this suburb of Albuquerque, in this town, in this town, in this town. And he goes, on these sites, we can, you know, and he goes, I, I believe we'll have a successful campaign. He was like this sort of Cambridge Analytica kind of guy. You know, just like a deep space, right. you know, right. deep space. So, and, and we, and we, you know, we, we shot about 20 uh, videos that we were going to roll out every few days, yep. you know, during the campaign. Uh, we got into shape so that, you know, the audience, because it was really the beginning of a promotional campaign, really, because uh -huh. the audience from the first movie was going to have to look at these videos and go, they still got it, right? <laughs> right, right. Or That's they don't. Point. Yeah. Or they yeah. look too fat. <laughs> right. Uh, right. So we grew mustaches and we worked out <laughs> and uh, we shot these videos and they, and they had the same similar tone as the first movie, except we were asking for money. And uh, so we pressed go on the campaign and, you know, within 24 hours we had, a, we had $2 million. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. And at the end it was uh, or 5.7 or something like that. I mean, it was okay. just, you know, we were the number two to Veronica That's Mars. That's amazing. But you were saying the movie Super Troopers grossed like 20 in the theaters, but made like 80 million on home video. That's right. Which is just, just unbelievable. Yeah, um, unbelievable. So you knew that the fan base was out there. Well, we hoped. You hoped, you know, yeah. we, you know, we knew they were out there, but we didn't know. I mean, it's, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, come see my movie for 20 bucks. It's another to say... For four hundred dollars, you can right. get the uh, set visit package. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, it wasn't it for thirty-five grand. One of you would be a sperm donor to. Uh... No, thirty-five grand bought you uh, one of the Highway Patrol cars, and someone oh, okay. bought that within an hour. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, 
for 25 million, one of us would father father a child. (laughs) Nobody bought that. We knocked a thousand off, but still nobody bought it. (laughs) Nobody went for it. And so some people who spent, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars became producers on the movie? Yeah, they got their name in the... That's why the credits are so damn Right, I figured that. Okay. And did any of them kind of show up on set and sort of give you notes or, you know, do it well, this way? Or that one way? of them got to be director for a day, which meant okay. he got to hang out with me. But he kind of took it a little too seriously. <laughs> and he's like, I have some pitches for your jokes. Okay. And I'm like, all right, buddy. Right. All right, buddy. Enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So let's talk a little about the writing process, because it, it, I think the credit is written by Broken Lizard. Yeah. Um, and obviously, when we make these comedies, we want them to seem effortless and like there is no script. And, you know, but uh, everybody who's a comedy writer, director knows you do a zillion drafts. So yeah. can you speak a little bit about, about how the origin, you know, from a writing standpoint? I mean, the way we operate now is we, we sit in a room for about three weeks and we, and we break an outline. And it's like a three-act structure and it's, you know, it's probably got about 60 scenes and then once we're, you know, we, we kind of work that outline until it's in a real good spot. And then we cut it up into fifths. And each person takes 12 points of the outline. And we generate a first draft within three weeks. Hmm. I mean, three weeks to do the outline and then three more weeks to write it. And we're, now we have a terrible first draft yep. where I've named the villain one thing and Kevin's named the villain something else. And, you're, and so it's like impossible to read. But you say, well... I like the tone of that scene, and I, I like the tone of this scene, and this joke is good, this joke, eh, not so much. And then we do, we basically give each other notes and revise our section. And then we do that again a third time, and then we hand it off to one person who's the point man, and then he takes it for the remaining 34 drafts. And oh, really? eventually we shoot draft 35, 37, 37 on this one. 37, amazing, yeah. And who and does it vary who the point person is? Yeah, it just or depends on you know who like who's free or who has very, yeah who, you know pe- people are point people in different movies. Yeah, um, and I was point person for the first fourteen, and then I had to do something, so Kevin okay. took over and did the rest, and then I came back in in the end. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, let's talk about casting. So obviously, you have the great benefit of having the leads um, and having people return, like Brian Cox, um, who. I, the production notes, it's pretty interesting. Brian Cox's story where he's like, he kind of showed up, you know, in 2001 and shot the movie and was like, I don't, I don't even know what this is, but it's basically the thing he's most recognized for in a very illustrious career. He is. I mean, um, he's done so many great dramas. He always wanted to be Jerry Lewis. He always thought okay. his career would make him like the next Jerry Lewis. That's yep. what, and so when, when he became this, like, he first he played a serial killer, the original Hannibal Lecter. That's right. And, he, you know, he's played, you know, pedophiles. He's played all sorts of stuff. Uh, but he, we were, I mean, not, Rushmore gave him a chance to be funny. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then we obviously did too. And yeah. he's a very funny guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's great in the movie. Um, and th- so obviously you have new people. Um, how, did, how did it come about, you know, with Rob Lowe and Emmanuel Shriki? And- well, Rob, uh, I was, uh, I directed his television show, uh, The Grinder, which uh, was. As did I. Oh, you yeah, did? Yeah, yeah, of course. It was fun. Uh, uh, with Fred Savage. And that was a phenomenally funny show. Fred Savage. Yeah, yeah. Fred Savage. Uh, a really, really funny show. And, you know, I, I, I did uh, four of those, and I did the finale. And so the, and the show didn't get picked up. And uh, it reminded me of Arrested Development a little bit. It was like, it, to me, it was that yeah. good. And it was like, ugh, couldn't, couldn't get people to watch it. 
like Club Dread. Uh, but uh, the uh, you know, but ultimately at the end of the shoot, I said to Rob, I said, "Is there any world where you would consider playing a part in Super Troopers 2? He said, Abs "Anything. I don't care what it is. I'm in." And Fred was sitting right there. He goes, "What about me?" <laughs> okay. And so you know, there you go. Made that work. Um, and with, well, I don't want to jump into um, production too quickly, but with with the new people, is it because you you guys have such a specific tone? Um, is it tricky to kind of get these get new actors on board with the tone you're going for? Or do you think they just kind of get it? Well, you know, Rob and Fred are like really they understand that comedy works at high speed. Yeah, you know, and so. You know, they're not, you work with a dramatic actor and they will try to pause twice in a sentence and you're like, I, I'm just going to cut away. Right, right. You know, like you have to, you have to keep the pace up because there's a, you know, there's a rhythm that this works at and it's fast. Very fast. Uh, and the, you know, the, you, you know, notice people chiming in, these little things, they're all syncopated, they're all timed, they're exact. Yeah. And so these guys know that. So it was, you know, all yeah. the people in this movie knew that, you know, I mean, they get that, you know, what, what the rhythms of comedy and yeah. this kind of comedy. Yeah. Are. I mean, yeah. I've worked with dramatic actors before and, you know, you don't really get it until draft, until uh, take eight or nine right. where you're like faster, right. faster, yep. faster. Yeah, exactly. Um, and during prep, is it, do you have any time to rehearse, or are you the Broken Lizard guys rehearsing? What, what is, are you doing read-throughs? Yeah, we, Kinda, what does we, prep look like for we you? We rehearse all the scenes internally, and we play all the parts. Okay. And then we kind of get a sense of how we think it should be read. But then you get, like, Sasso, who plays, like, uh, one of the Mounties. Hilarious. The, and, you know, there's no approximating that. You know, that's those guys sort of just did what they did. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and, he, you know, he came in and said, I'm going to do, you know, the, this incredible accent. I'm like, right. I said, sometimes I'd go in and say, I don't understand what the meaning of the sentence is. Right. So can you get this one word out? Right. Go, yeah, okay, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get that one word, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. the rest is, is The mine. rest is, you know, yeah. hard to tell. Um, and had, what about the crew? Had you, was it new people or people you'd work with before? Uh, the crew... You know, we, we kept a lot of the crew that we've worked with in the past, and, and, I, and I, also, I added a couple of different people from the TV world that, yeah, yeah, you know, I I, that. I've directed now about 110 episodes of television. Yeah. And so I've met a couple of really amazing people in that world that I, I pulled onto this movie. Yeah. And what are you looking for when you, you know, in terms of crew? Like, it, obviously, like the actors, a dramatic actor might, you know, come in differently than a than someone who knows the rhythms of comedy perfectly. I mean... the same kind of casting? You know, I, uh, and I'm sure you're, you're probably similar, but I, I have always sort of admired the films of John Landis. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I always feel like if you turn his, the sound off on his movies, it's not necessarily obvious that they're comedies. Yeah. You know, because they're lit. You know, there's a little bit of darkness. There's a little bit of, you know... There's a little bit of edge to him, and yeah. he was you know, he was trying to fit in in the 70s and That's the right. 80s, right? So yeah, so uh, I like I like that kind of look, you know, and we, yeah. we try to go for that kind of look. But I mean, in terms of the crew, you're looking for somebody who who really is going to take it seriously, yeah, you know, and like because yeah. we're going to deal with the we're with what you know trying to generate the laughs through the very very specifically written jokes and timing. 
but we need the sets to look like a normal, real movie. That's right. Yeah. You know, and we need yeah. the, the lighting to look like a real movie. Yeah. You know. Um, and do you, in prep, are, do you shot list or are you, I mean, it's so many scenes have so many people that I was wondering, are you, are you just basically trying to cover it? No, and it's bring all it into like, the cutting room or how you know, do you I, work? I, I, I'm, I was an editor, uh, on my first film, I, I couldn't, I didn't, couldn't afford to hire a guy to sit there and cut the movie. Right. And so I, I got a job at an editing house as a manager so I could have free editing time. Okay. And then I would, whenever I'd run into something I didn't know how to do, I would call in one of the editors who worked for the company, yep. and they would teach me how to do that one thing. Mm. And so I became an editor. And so ultimately, I go through the script, and I'm like, I, you know, I, I literally you know, write the shots out based on how it will cut. Mm. And then I add some other shots on top of that. It's all, it's all very specifically shot-listed. Specifically shot-listed. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Um, do you storyboard or, or yeah, I mean, really? I storyboard the, the, the big action scenes, like the opening and the, and the, the, the grizzly bear, right, right. you know, cause you just, yeah. When, you know, when people get on set, they're like, oh, we want to give you as much as we can. Yeah. But really when you're working with a 1700 pound bear, you're like, <laughs> I literally need this one shot. Yep. Like, and I need about eight seconds of it. Yep. So can we get this to happen? And yeah. they're like, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, right. And they just, okay, this is all we're going to do? Yeah. If we do all this, it'll, it'll, it'll cut. cut together. Yeah. Um, so on set, what, what does a day look like for you? Are you, are you kind of rehearsing and then shooting? Or is there a lot of improv? Just talk us through what, what some of these producers who paid money uh, to crowdfund got to see when, they, when well, they showed up on set. I mean, we shot the first film in 28 days. And we shot this film in 28 days. Amazing. And so That's amazing. the difference is the first film, I didn't really know what I was doing. In the, in the, it's not that I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know that I knew what I was doing. Okay. You know, yeah. I, I was like, I think this is the right way to go. And I shot a lot of things that I didn't really use that were really useless when you put the cut together. Yeah. In this movie... I shot exactly what I needed. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's 10 times more complicated, this film, but it, it was just a matter of being very like, this is, these are the only shots I need for this scene, and we're shooting them. Right. You know, so in terms of improv, because we wrote 37 drafts, we believed in the joke we had. Yeah. So we shot that joke well, yep. and then the actors understood that, okay, you get two or three takes, go do whatever the hell you want to now. Right. And, and beat, beat it by all means. You know, sure. and they would write their own bits. And, and in, you, know, and I, you know, the first movie we probably put in about eight lines of improv, which is okay. not much. Not a lot. Yeah. Uh, and this one is probably more like 50. 50. But still, not, not a lot. I mean, not a lot. Yeah, not a lot. Yeah. We don't, you know, we're not... I mean, I've watched you shoot, and there's a little more... It feels like there's a little more improv yeah. to it, but it must depend on the scene, right? It depends on the scene, yeah. But, there's, but some scenes, there's a lot, a lot of improv. Yeah. Yeah. But it, that wasn't always, I think in, in the, my first couple movies, there was very little. And then I just, I don't know, started to, to incorporate it more. Yeah, it's um, just, you know, it's, it's a hard horse to ride when you get in the edit room. You're like, uh, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. you really have to ride it right there while it's happening and say, okay, I love that, but in order to do that, I have to do that. That's right. Yeah, no, it has, it, it kind of 
the dominoes uh, yeah. fall for sure. So yeah, so that actually you you hit upon one of my questions, which is it's kind of the rare situation where you you directed Super Troopers, which was your second movie. Puddle Cruiser yeah. was your first, which is an, another hilarious movie uh, if you haven't seen it. Um, You've seen it. There you go. Um, but but you you know you're now revisiting the same characters, but you know, all these years, like a decade and a half later with so much, as you said, all these TV credits and having directed many movies and big studio movies. So you kind of touched on this, but maybe we can speak a little more of just Jay Chandra Sekar, you know, approaching this, uh, 15 or 16 years later as a director. What, how did you feel differently? Did you feel more confident or did you feel? I mean, you know, the first film I made puddle cruiser, I, was so internally stressed that I lost 20 pounds during the shoot. Okay. And okay. with Super Troopers, I lost 15 pounds. Like, right. it didn't matter what I ate or drank. I, ate every, I drank everything and ate everything. Okay. It, it just it's lost stress. Yeah. weight. Uh, when I made Dukes of Hazard, I'd gained 20 pounds. Okay. And I think it was with the moment when I realized, oh, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, right. And this one, you know, I was very, very sure of what... You know, we'd already we'd already made this movie. Yeah. You know, it was just another one. Yeah. Uh, and I felt confident about the story. I felt confident about the script. So, the shots, I'm like, I just got to collect them. Yep. You know, it was yep. the timing. The time on 28 Day Shoot is tight. Very tight. I mean, it's just you have to sort of everything yeah. has to go well. And there's action, and it's not yeah. just people in a room. There's like, That's right. there's yeah. big set pieces and you know stuff like right. that. So. Um, Let's talk about post a little bit. So um, had you worked with, uh, is this a new editor for you or someone you'd worked with before? This is one of the guys I took from television. From he, he, I worked with him on Community and I, I believe Happy Endings as well. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, I've worked with so many editors and I'm sure you have too, but it's yeah. like when you watch a first cut of a television show and you look at what this guy did, you're like, I feel like I might have cut it. You know, like, right. it's like he cuts me like I cut me. Uh-huh, yeah. And you say, wow, that guy, you know. And he was, you know, he'd done a bunch of TV, never done a movie. Okay. And he yeah. kind of had these brass balls, and he called me up, and he goes, I hear you're making Super Troopers. I'd like to be the editor. And I'm right. like, dude, you've never edited a movie before. Right. And he goes, I know, but I'm putting my name in the hat. And I'm like, all right, well, you're not getting it. Okay. And, uh, okay. And then... You know, my, my, the editors that I, was going, that I would have normally gone to were all working out of California. We had a New York tax post okay. credit. Okay, yeah. And I said, I called this guy up. I'm like, can you move to New York? <laughs> right. And he goes, hell yeah. Nice. And, and he went. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Um, we did, and I'll use him forever. He did a great job. Oh, I yeah. love him. Yeah. Um, and what about the test screening process? Obviously, in our kind of movies... Test screening, audience, laughs, all of that is, is so important. Did you, what was that process like on, on this kind of movie? I mean, you know, we, there was some security on this sort of film because there was, you know, there was some expectation. There were, there, you know, you wouldn't want, you wouldn't want an early cut of this movie to get out right. or even the word that it wasn't as good as the first or whatever it right, was, right? Right, right, yeah. So we had to show these, like very tight, small group of people. Mm. We showed 50, then we showed 100, but we knew everybody in the room. Okay. Uh, and then we showed 500 down at the Orange Block in Orange County. Yep. And, you know, 
It was one of those magical test screenings. It was great. Those rare magical those test are, screens. That's what we live I mean, for, you basically. Know, they were, it was the highest testing movie we've ever done. Okay. And uh, luckily, the entire Fox brass was in the room. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And uh, it's been, you know, great since then. That's great. Yeah. Um, I noticed Eagles of Death Metal did yeah. the score. Uh, what, what, how, did, how did that collaboration come I, about? You know, my... Uh, my friends in the group are fans of the Eagles' death metal, and they said that I that they really thought I would like them because I'm a big fan of like '70s rock and roll. And so I went to see them, and there were all these women wearing fake mustaches, and I was like, <laughs> "That's interesting." Okay. And and then uh, I watched them, and they, I, you know, I'm not into death metal, but they these guys are the Eagles. <laughs> Yeah, death that's metal. not really. They're not really death. It's metal. a terrible name yeah. for a band. The it, Eagles. It, it, it is brands what they, them yeah, as such. They're, they're yeah. more. They're they're just like a funk rock. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I I said you know these guys are like the the rock and roll version of us. Okay. And I yeah. said these guys have to have to do our film. Nice. And you know three years later they did. And how, how had they ever scored a film? They'd never scored they... a, a a movie or before. Anything? But you know, I did a similar thing with. Dukes of Hazard. I had Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top, oh, yeah. uh, and Willie Nelson also did some mm. guitar work on it. And it's really, you know, you just like I need a twelve-second lick here. It's right. got to be big, and then come off, come right. off hard. And you, right, you know, right. once they start to understand, yeah, that it's just it's a rhythm thing, and they're like, you know, they put up their song against our scene, and they, what they were so int- intrigued by, they said, you know, these so- the song lines up exactly with your scene. They're like, there's some weird rhythmic kind of crossover happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and when, you, when you give them the note, I need it to be 28 seconds. Yeah. It's got to have a little build and then, you know. Yeah. And they just, you know, they're able to do it. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it, the score's great. It yeah. perfectly, you know, it goes perfectly with the tone. So. Yeah, thanks. Um, well, why don't we take a few questions okay, uh, from the crowd. Um, any questions, guys? Uh, yeah, in back. Uh, yeah, beer fest too. Uh, you know that we're we're kind of talking to uh, like we have we have sort of we have movies sort of all over town. We have one at Paramount and two at Universal, and that and that movie is at Warner Brothers. So you know we'll see. We're we're trying to get Warner Brothers to either agree to make it or to let us have it. So we'll see. Mm. I mean we we have a we have a a a, a plot, uh, and uh, we'd like to make it. It'll be pot fest, but you know. Appropriate. Yeah. Times have changed. Yeah. Um, any other questions? Yes, sir. How hard is it to direct and act in the same scene? I, I always say that directing and acting ruins two perfectly good jobs. You know, it's like it's incredibly fun to just act. I've acted for him once, and in, in, uh, I love you, man. Yep, he was kind enough to show up for a couple days. Yeah, and uh, um, and it's great because. Nobody asks you anything. You know, you just got to say your lines and say them on time, and it's fantastic. Uh, but, you know, directing and acting, I'm, you know, like most directors are, are you know, like have a control freak gene in them. And so you want, when you watch it, you're like, oh, that's, that line's coming in like one-third of a second too late, and that one's two-thirds of a second too fast, you know, whatever. And when you're acting, you don't get to watch yourself and do that. So, and you can't really just do a take and then go stare at yourself and it's, it's just awkward, right? You don't want to do that. So you're not doing, pl- like, watching playback I'll watch, on an average. I'll on watch one basis. take and say okay. the framing needs to be a little wider right. or whatever it is. 
you know, there's a great deal of self-loathing involved. So, <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not fun to watch it. So really what uh, Brian Cox told me that you should, the best way to do this job is to bracket your performance. So you, you basically read it, it, read it, read the line subtly, a little bigger, right in the middle where you think it should be, over the top a little, and then way over the top. And he goes, you'll use one of them. One of them will be right. Hmm. Great advice. It's, it really Excellent. is. Yeah. Um, any other questions? Uh, so, well, the movie obviously did, had incredible opening weekend and has done great. Yeah, we were um, the number one movie in America on Friday night. That's, uh, that's so <laughs> cool. Can, I mean, it, it's just great. Uh, so, Super Troopers 3, are we, where, where, yeah, what we're, are we Yeah, you know, we're talking to Fox Searchlight. I'm, you know, my notes are right here. I'm going to go sit in a bar and start to figure it out. Excellent. Uh, and, uh, and, and we'll see. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, there's another film I'm going to make. It's called American Indian. Okay. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, it's a little bit like, you know, like meet the parents, but it's, it's okay. in the, it's got a very hard political racial bent to it. Okay. Okay. It's like a little all in the family. A little, a little R-rated, all in the family. R-rated all in the family. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Are you going to be in it? Yeah. Or, oh, excellent. Yeah. Um, that sounds cool. And not with, with the guys. I mean, maybe it'll be just, some, it'll be just me. Just I'm in here. the process of starting to set it up now. Oh, great. Yeah. Excellent. Um, no, well this, what you guys have here is so that tone, I was trying to think of what it's like stoner Marx brothers or something. I don't know what it is. It's very, yeah. it's very, it's very sweet. Actually. They're all, uh-huh. they all kind of, except for Farva, they all kind of love each other. And they kind of, they put up with him and kind of love him too. Yeah. Um, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a very unique tone that you capture. Thank you. And, uh, and it, it obviously connects with audiences. So yeah, it's awesome. Um, all right, cool. Well, uh, if there's no more questions, I think, uh, our time has come to an end. Thanks everybody. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q and a, if you'd like to hear more, You can find past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. In the coming weeks, we'll hear from directors Morgan Neville, Amy Scott, and Lauren Greenfield, so be sure to click subscribe so you won't miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally. 